Red Salute, welcome back to the Manifestoring Podcast. Just a quick rundown of what we'll be discussing this week. Now, if you checked out my last episode, I gave you all a brief update about where I've been, um, but more importantly, about what I'm planning on doing with the show going forward. The next project I want to work on is kind of an online reading group. I wanted to read through either seminal texts, hard-to-find texts concerning communism, feminism, etc. We'll do a little read-through, almost like an audiobook format, and then have a discussion after each segment. The other half of that project includes actually printing out physical copies of these books and disseminating those at next to no cost. As I said before, uh, last week I'm in the Portland, Oregon area, so if you are in that area, I'm happy to meet up with you and pass these out, like however many copies you may need. If you are around the United States or international, we can figure out shipping and go from there. So that being said, the first book I wanted to start with was Philosophical Trends in the Feminist Movement. This can be a really, um, really difficult book to track down in a physical format, and it is one of the most seminal texts as it concerns proletarian feminism and communism in general. I mean, the the question of communism and feminism intertwine and um, intersect, obviously. So I wanted to start there. Um, I plan for this episode, I'm just going to read the introduction and what's called the brief overview of the women's movement in the West. We'll start there. I don't think this is really... um, this particular part of the book is necessary to recap because it's kind of an overview in itself. So there's not a whole lot to discuss other than reading the text itself. So we will start there. As always, any questions, concerns, comments, or death threats can be sent to me on Twitter at ManifestPod. Introduction. Internationally, one of the most remarkable developments in the capitalist era has been the emergence and growth of the women's movement. For the first time in human history, women came out collectively to demand their rights and their place under the sun. The emancipation of women from centuries of oppression became an urgent and immediate question. The movement threw up theoretical analysis and solutions on the question of women's oppression. The women's movement has challenged the present patriarchal, exploitative society both through its activities and through its theories. It is not that earlier women did not realize their oppression. They clearly did. They articulated this oppression in various ways, through folk songs, by the idioms and poems, paintings and other forms of art to which they had access, as well as raving against the injustices they had to suffer. They interpreted and reinterpreted myths and epics to express their viewpoint. The various versions of the Ramayana and Mahabharata, for example, still in circulation among rural women through songs in various parts of India, are a vivid testimony of this. Some remarkable women emerged in the feudal period who sought out forms of protest through the means available to them at the time and became symbols of resistance to the patriarchal society in which they lived. Mirabai, the woman saint, is only one example among many who left a lasting impact on society. This is true for all societies throughout the world. This was a counterculture reflecting a consciousness of the oppressed. But it was limited by circumstances and was unable to find a way out, a path to end the oppression. In most cases, they sought a solution in religion or a personal god. The development of capitalism brought about a tremendous change in social conditions and thinking. The concept of democracy meant people became important. Liberalism as a social and political philosophy led the change in its early phase. Women from the progressive and social classes came forward as a collective. Thus, for the first time in history, a women's own movement emerged that demanded from society their rights and emancipation. 
This movement has, like all other social movements, had its ebbs and flows. The impact of capitalism, however constricted and distorted in the colonies like India, had its impact on progressive men and women. A women's own movement in India emerged in the first part of the 20th century. It was part of this international ferment, and yet it was still rooted in the contradictions of Indian society. The theories that emerged in capitalist countries found their way to India and were applied to Indian conditions. The same is true in an even more sharp way in the context of the contemporary women's movement that arose in the late 1960s in the West. The contemporary women's movement posed many more challenges facing society because the limits of capitalism in its imperialist phase are now nakedly clear. It had taken much struggle to gain formal legitimacy in the demand for equality. And even after that, equality was still unrealized not just in the backward countries, but even in the advanced capitalist countries like the USA and France. The women's movement now looked for the roots of oppression in the very system of society itself. The women's movement analyzed the system of patriarchy and sought out the origins of patriarchy in history. They grappled with the social sciences and showed the inherent male bias present in them. They exposed how a patriarchal way of thinking colored all analysis regarding women's role in history and in contemporary society. Women have a history, quote, women are history, Gerda Lerner. From studies of history, they retrieved the contributions women had made to the development of human society and to major movements and struggles. They also exposed the gender-based division of labor under capitalism that relegated an overwhelming majority of women to the least skilled, lowest paid categories. They exposed the way ruling classes, especially the capitalist class, has economically gained from patriarchy. They exposed the patriarchal bias in the state, its laws, and regulations. The feminists analyzed the symbols and traditions of a given society and showed how they perpetuate the patriarchal system. The feminists gave importance to the oral tradition and thus were able to bring to the service the voice of women suppressed throughout history. The movement forced men and women to look critically at their own attitudes and thoughts, as well as their actions and words regarding women. The movement challenged various patriarchal, anti-woman attitudes that tainted even progressive and revolutionary movements and affected women's participation within them. Notwithstanding the theoretical confusions and weaknesses the feminist movement had, it has contributed significantly to our understanding of the women's question in the present day world. The worldwide movement for democracy and socialism has been enriched by the women's movement. One of the important characteristics of the contemporary women's movement has been the effort made by feminists to theorize on the condition of women. They have entered into the field of philosophy in order to give a philosophical foundation to their analysis and approach. Women sought philosophies of liberation and grappled with various philosophical trends which they felt could give vision to the struggle of women. Various philosophical trends like existentialism, Marxism, anarchism, and liberalism were all studied and adopted by active women movements in the U.S. as well as England. Thus, feminists are an eclectic group who include a diverse range of approaches, perspectives, and frameworks depending on the philosophical trend they adopt. Yet, they share a commitment to give voice to women's experiences and to end women's subordination. Given the hegemony of the West, these trends have had a strong influence on the women's movement within India as well. Hence, a serious study of the women's movement must include an understanding of the various theoretical trends within the movement itself. Feminist philosophers have been influenced by a diverse set of philosophers such as Locke, Kant, Hegel, Marx, Derrida, Nietzsche, and Freud. Yet, most of them have concluded that traditional philosophy is male-biased, 
Its major concepts and theories and its own self-understanding reveals, quote, a distinctively masculine way of approaching the world, Alison Jagger. Hence, they have tried to transform traditional philosophy. Keeping this background in mind, we aim to present some of the main philosophical trends among feminists. One point to take note of is that these various trends are not fixed and separate. Some feminists have in fact opposed these categories. Some have changed their approach over time, some have a mix of two or more of the trends. Yet for an understanding, these broad trends can be useful. But before discussing the theories, we will begin with a very brief account of the development of the women's movement in the West, especially in the U.S. This is necessary to understand the atmosphere in which the theoretical developments among feminists grew. Overview of Women's Movement in the West The women's movement in the West is divided into two phases. The first phase arose in the mid-19th century and ended by the 1920s, while the second phase began in the 1960s. The first phase is known for the suffragette movement, or the movement of women for their political rights, i.e. the right to vote. The women's movement arose in the context of the growth of capitalism and the spread of a democratic ideology. It arose in the context of other social movements that emerged at the time as well. In the U.S., the movement to free black slaves and the movement to organize the ever-increasing ranks of the proletariat was an important part of the socio-political ferment of the 19th century. In the 1830s and 40s, the abolitionists, those campaigning for the abolition of slavery, included some educated women who braved social opposition to the campaign to free black people from slavery. Lucretia Mott, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan Anthony, and Angeline Grimke were among the women active in the anti-slavery movement who later became active in the struggle for women's political rights. But opposition within the anti-slavery organizations to women representing them and to women in leadership forced women involved in these movements to think about their own status in society and their own rights. In the U.S., women in the various states started organizing to demand their right to equality in education, as well as a women's rights to property and divorce. The Seneca Falls Convention, organized by Stanton, Anthony, and others in 1848, proved to be a landmark in the history of the first phase of the women's movement in the U.S. They adopted a Declaration of Sentiments, modeled on the Declaration of Independence, in which they demanded equal rights in marriage, property, wages, and the vote. For 20 years after this convention, state-level conventions were held, propaganda campaigns through lecture tours were held, and pamphlet and signature petitions were conducted. In 1868, an amendment was brought to the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, granting the right to vote to blacks but not to women. Stanton and Anthony campaigned against this amendment but were unsuccessful in preventing it. A split between the women and abolitionists took place. Meanwhile, the working class movement also grew, though the established trade union leadership was not interested in organizing women workers. Only the IWW supported efforts to organize women workers who worked long hours for extremely low wages. Thousands of women were garment workers, including anarchists, socialists, and Marxists, some of who worked among the workers and organized them. Among them were Emma Goldman, Elder Reeves Bloor, Mother Jones, and Sojourner Truth. In the 1880s, militant struggles and repression became the order of the day. Most of the suffrage leaders showed no interest in the exploitation of workers and did not support their movement. Towards the end of the century and the beginning of the 20th century, a working-class women's movement developed rapidly. The high point of this was the strike of almost 40,000 women garment workers in 1909. 
The socialist women were very active in Europe, and leading communist women like Eleanor Marx, Clara Zetkin, Alexandra Kolontai, Vera Zasulich were in the forefront of the struggle to organize working women. Thousands of working women were organized and women's papers and magazines were published. It was at the Second International Conference of Working Women in Copenhagen that Clara Zetkin, the German communist and famous leader of the international women's movement, inspired by the struggles of the American women workers, moved the resolution to commemorate March 8th as Women's Day at the international level. By the end of the century, the women's situation had undergone much change in the U.S. Though they did not have the right to vote, but in the field of education, property rights, and employment, they had made many gains. Hence, the demand for the vote gained respectability. The movement took a more conservative turn, separating the question of gaining the right to vote from all other social and political issues. Their main tactics were petitioning and lobbying with senators, etc. It became active in 1914 with the entry of Alice Paul, who introduced the militant tactics of the British suffragettes, like picketing, hunger strikes, sit-ins, etc. Due to their active campaign and militant tactics, women won the right to vote in America in 1920. The women's struggle in Britain started later than the American movement, but it took a more militant turn in the beginning of the 20th century, with Emmeline Parkhurst, her daughters, and their supporters adopting militant tactics to draw attention to their demands, facing arrest several times to further press their causes. They had formed the Women's Social and Political Union, the WSPU, in 1903, when they were disillusioned with the style of work of the older organizations. The WSPU spearheaded the agitation for suffrage, but they compromised with the British government when the First World War broke out in 1914. Both in the U.S. and in England, the leaders of the movement were white and middle class and restricted their demand to the middle class women. It was the socialist and communist women who rejected the demand for the vote being limited to those with property and broadened the demand to include the vote for all women, including working class women. They organized separate mass mobilizations in support of the demand for the women's right to vote. The women's movement did not continue during the period of the Depression the rise of fascism in the World War. In the post-Second World War period, America saw a boom in its economy and the growth of the middle class. In the war years, women had taken up all sorts of jobs to run the economy, but after that they were encouraged to give up their jobs and become good housewives and mothers. This balloon of prosperity and contentment lasted till the 1960s. Social unrest with the black civil rights movement gained ground later, and the anti-war movement against the Vietnam War emerged. It was a period of great turmoil. The Cultural Revolution that began in China, too, had its impact. Political activity among university students increased, and it is in this atmosphere of social and political turmoil that the women's movement once again emerged, this time initially from among university students and faculty. Women realized that they faced discrimination in employment, in wages, and overall in the way they were treated in society. The consumerist ideology also came under attack. Simone de Beauvoir had written The Second Sex in 1949, but its impact was felt now. Betty Friedan had written The Feminine Mystique in 1963, and the book became extremely popular. She initiated the National Organization of Women in 1966 to fight against the discrimination women faced and to struggle for the Equal Rights Amendment. But the autonomous women's movement, radical feminist movement, emerged from within the student movement that had leftist leanings. Black students and the Student Nonviolent Coordination Council, the SNCC, 
which campaigned for civil rights for blacks, threw out the white men and women students at the Chicago Convention in 1968 on the grounds that only blacks would struggle for black liberation. Similarly, the idea that women's liberation is a women's struggle gained ground. In this context, women members of the Students for a Democratic Society, the SDS, demanded that women's liberation be a part of the National Council in their June 1968 convention. But they were hissed and voted down. Many of these women walked out and formed the WRAP, the Women's Radical Action Project, in Chicago. Women within the new university conference, the NUC, a national-level body of university students, staff, and faculty who wanted a socialist America, formed a women's caucus. Marlene Dixon and Naomi Wistine from Chicago were leading in this. Shulamith, Firestone, and Pamela Allen began similar activity in New York and formed the New York Radical Women, the NYRW. All of them rejected the liberal view that changes in the law and equal rights amendments would solve women's oppression and believe that the entire structure of society has to be transformed. Hence, they called themselves radical. They came to hold the opinion that mixed groups and parties, men and women, like the Socialist Party, SDS, and the New Left, will not be able to take the struggle for women's liberation forward, and a women's movement, autonomous from parties, is needed. The NYRW's first public action was the protest against the Miss America Beauty Contest, which brought the fledgling women's movement into national prominence. A year later, the NYWR divided into the Red Stockings and Witch, Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell. The Red Stockings issued their manifesto in 1969, and in this the position of radical feminism was clearly presented for the first time. Quote, We identify the agents of our oppression as men. Male supremacy is the oldest, most basic form of domination. All other forms of exploitation and oppression, racism, capitalism, imperialism, etc., are extensions of male supremacy. Men dominate women, a few men dominate the rest." Unquote. Sisterhood is powerful, and the personal is political became their slogans, which gained wide popularity. Meanwhile, the SDS issued its position paper on women's liberation in December of 1968. This was debated by women from various points of view. Kathy McAfee and Myrna Wood wrote Bread and Roses to signify that the struggle can not only be against economic exploitation of capitalism, bread, but also against the psychological and social oppression that women faced, roses. These debates carried out in the various journals produced by the women's group that emerged in this period were taken seriously and influenced the course and trends within the women's movement not only in the U.S., but in other countries as well. The groups mainly took the form of small circles for raising consciousness. It must be noted that all of these were following either the Trotskyite or Cuban socialism within the left movement. They opposed all types of hierarchical structures. In this way, the socialist feminist and radical feminist trend within the women's movement emerged. Though it had many limitations if seen from a Marxist perspective, it raised questions and brought many aspects of women's oppression out into the open. In the later 1960s and early 70s in the U.S. and Western Europe, different groups had different visions of revolution. Quote, there were feminist, black, anarchist, Marxist-Leninist, and other versions of revolutionary politics, but the belief that revolution of one sort or another was around the corner cut across these divisions. Barbara Epstein the socialist, Marxist, and radical feminists shared a vision about revolution. 
During this first period, the feminists were grappling with Marxist theory and key concepts like production, reproduction, class consciousness, and labor. Both the socialist feminist and the radical feminist were trying to change Marxist theory to incorporate feminist understanding of women's position. But after 1975, there was a shift. Systemic analysis of capitalism of the entire social structure was replaced or recast as cultural feminism. Cultural feminism begins with the assumption that men and women are basically different. It focused on the cultural features of patriarchal oppression and primarily aimed for reforms in this area. Unlike radical and socialist feminism, it adamantly rejects any critique of capitalism and emphasizes patriarchy as the roots of women's oppression and veers towards separatism. In the late 1970s and the 1980s, lesbian feminism emerged as one current within the feminist movement. At the same time, women of color, black women, as well as third world women in the advanced capitalist countries, raised criticisms about the ongoing feminist movement and began to articulate their versions of feminism. Organizations among the working class women for equal treatment at the workplace, childcare, etc. also started growing. That the feminist movement had been restricted to white, middle class, educated women in advanced capitalist countries and was focusing on issues primarily of their concern had become obvious. This gave rise to the global or multicultural feminism. In the third world countries, women's groups also became active, but all the issues were not necessarily purely women's issues. Violence against women has been a major concern, especially rape, but there were several other issues that emerged from exploitation due to colonialism and neocolonialism poverty and exploitation by landlords, peasant issues, displacement, apartheid, and many other problems that were regionally specific. In the early 1990s, postmodernism became influential among feminists as well, but the right-wing conservative backlash against feminism grew in the 1980s, focusing opposition to the feminist struggle for abortion rights. They also attacked feminism for destroying the family and for emphasizing the importance of a woman's role in the family. Yet the feminist perspective spread wide and countless activist groups, as well as social and cultural projects at the grassroots level, grew and continued to be active. Women's studies too spread widely. Healthcare and environmental issues have been the focus of attention for many of these groups. Many leading feminists were absorbed in academic jobs, while at the same time many of the major organizations and caucuses became large institutions, absorbed by the establishment and staffed like any established bureaucratic institution, causing activism to decline. In the 1990s, the feminist movement was known more for the activities of these organizations and the writings of feminists in the academic realm. Quote, feminism has become more an idea than a movement, and one that lacks the visionary quality it once had, end quote, wrote Barbara Epstein in the Monthly Review, May 2001. In the 1990s, the increasing gap between the economic condition of the working class and oppressed minorities in the middle classes, the continuing gender inequality, increasing violence on women, and the onslaught of globalization and its impact on people, especially women in the third world, led to a renewed interest in Marxism. At the same time, the participation of women, especially young women, in a range of political movements, as evidenced in the anti-globalization and anti-war movements, has further helped the process of this awakening. With this brief overview of the development of the women's movement in the West, we will analyze the propositions of the main theoretical trends within the feminist movement.